This week on The Clubhouse, we have a wild one. Anthony and I are joined by comedian Mo Rocca and his brother Larry. Larry spent many years in the big leagues as a beat writer, and a surprise guest joins the show that we think you're really going to get a kick out of. I know we did. On to the show. Blue Jays win it! Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Welcome to the show, everybody. It is a wonderful day for baseball. My name is Manish Jane, and sitting next to me, as always, is Mr. Anthony Rapp. It's wintry outside, but we are warm in the in the environs where we're sitting. It's nice. On the show today, we have not one, but two fantastic guests. First up, we have a gentleman who spent uh, several years as a beat writer for the Dodgers, the Angels, the Mets, the Yankees, and three years as a columnist for, I believe it was the Star-Ledger, but we'll confirm once uh, he's allowed to talk. And his brother, who you've seen on The Daily Show, Tonight Show, CBS Sunday Morning, he's the host of Innovation Nation, and honestly, just entirely too many other things to list here. Because as always, the only credits that matter is that they are both fans of the great game of baseball. Joining us... In the clubhouse today, Larry and Moraka. <laughs> is that Darth Vader or is that people cheering? I feel like people cheering. Yes. I think it's, <laughs> we're adding cheering here. Yes. It, 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 that intro deserves that. Yes. Uh, how are you guys doing? Uh, great. I, I'm. This is Mo, and I'm. My only title is is his brother today. So he should he should probably finish clarifying all that he's done in baseball. Yeah, Larry. What exactly have you? You were, before we uh, turned the uh, the mics on. You were kind of giving the laundry list of of places you've worked. Uh, where, where exactly? What have you done in baseball over your life? Um, well, I got cut from my college baseball team twice. <laughs> college. That's an accomplishment. <laughs> Which. Um, uh, was a minor inconvenience on my path to the major leagues. And then um, I worked in uh, sports TV for a year. I worked in minor league baseball for a year. And then I got into writing and I covered uh, the Angels uh, for one year, the Dodgers for two years for the Orange County Register. And then I was in New York for eight years uh, from 97 through 04. Covered the Yankees for two and a half years for Newsday. Covered the Mets for two and a half years for the Star-Ledger and was their baseball columnist for three years. And then I quit uh, the newspaper business and moved to Japan and worked for Bobby Valentine and the Chibolote Marines baseball team for five years. Which one? Didn't it win the Japanese? We won the, uh, yeah, we won the Nippon Series in uh, 2005, my first year. Uh, not coincidental. It was the first, uh, their first championship in uh, 31 years. What was oh your capacity God. of working there? I was um, a... Uh, Mascot clown. Right. M Crash. I uh, entertain fans uh, in the middle of the game. Uh, we can, if you want me to get into the details now or I can explain later. There should definitely be a picture on the website. I, well, I was okay. just about to say, I yeah. want a picture, I want video, I want anything you have of my, you performing there. Yeah, my title changed uh, many times over the years. Uh, when I was hired, I was the director 
of promotions and in-game events because Bobby wanted me to have a long title. He thought that would impress the Japanese. <laughs> I was, uh, at one point, I was uh, director of uh, international business development. Then I was like executive advisor. And basically I did uh, corporate marketing and sales, sold uh, sponsorships. Uh, I was uh, main uh, interface with the uh, international business community. Um, How do you fit that all in one business card? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the kanji characters are very what helpful also, in that regard. What's interesting to me is the uh, what exactly? What do they call them? In are they mascots in in Japan? Well, or we had mascots. Uh, we had three seagulls as our mascots. Okay. Uh, we had Ma Kun, Rin Chan, and Zuchan, and uh, the Chan and the and the Kun are honorifics for children. So Ma Kun is Mar Boy. Reen Chan is Reen Girl, right. and Zu Chan is Zu, in this case, gender neutral child. Interesting. And there were three awesome. seagulls, and Marines, because we were the Chibolos oh, yeah. and Marines. But not the U.S. Marines. We were the Marines because we were near the water. Yeah. So there were three seagulls. Yeah. And then M Crash has a different origin story. Well, it's just, what's interesting to me, though, is that so I'm friends with, you can only say, uh, well, he's the Philly Fanatic's best friend. Uh, Tom Burgoyne, that's how they refer to, uh, well, he's his best friend. So, so right. the Philly Fanatic is an act. So it's just curious that you are able to say that you were this character. And I'm curious if, if there is that kind of preciousness in Japan of keeping the illusion of this is the character versus this is the person oh, inside sure, the character. Oh, for sure, for sure. There was an event on the field one time um, involving M-Crash when Ma Kun was uh, in a race against a mascot from another team. And he had to dive into second base and his head popped off. Oh, no. <laughs> and he completely freaked out that the fans were going to see him, his real identity. Yeah. Right. And I mean, he almost had a nervous breakdown. And is yeah. one of the seagulls? Or the, uh, he's the, a seagull and he buried his head underneath okay. the, the, and he walked off and he was traumatized yeah. for about a day. He was freaked yeah. out. The emperor has no beak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by the way, little trivia is that I went to Colby College. That's where I was cut from the baseball team. And when I first arrived, our football coach, uh, was the brother of the original Philly fanatic. So it all, oh, wow. See? It's all full circle. <laughs> we, did, we did an episode about all the mascots and we yeah. like rated them and, and yeah. praised and, and denigrated them. When I was as, a kid, you know. I actually, I did not like mascots when I was a kid. I just, I, I don't know why it just wasn't something that I really vibed with very much. Clown adjacent. I think so. Sphere. But then as I've gotten older, I, and I've also gotten to know some of the, the, the friends of the mascots will just say it's, seeing the joy that they can bring in other kids and in like, especially Orbit is great. And obviously the fanatic is great. And like, there's some of them that are just and the, the mascots for the nationals are very educational. The mascot, are, I was honestly about giants, to say right. the president's race. Yeah, it's yes. really kind of interesting to see how much I see kids arguing about presidential history now, albeit based on foot races, but Hey, you know what? They're talking about presidents a lot more than I did when I was that age. And so it is, it's, do they have all the presidents? No, no, no. no. They they just, Lincoln, Roosevelt, uh, the Teddy, I'm sorry, Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, um, uh, George Washington, and, 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 and don't they have Jefferson, Jefferson, the big porker. Now don't they, they have, have Taft? Taft? Yes, they have Taft as well. Throughout the first he's right a, pitch, he's, he's oh. the guy that threw the first pitch, right? Yeah. 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 The very first Are you a big presidential historian person? Is that that's part a, yeah, of that's it? Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, but okay, we're we're all we've we've jumped way too far in the future. The first thing we have to do is talk about for the boat. First of all, which one of you? Actually, is sorry, the, I think Taft invented the seventh inning. Seventh inning stretch is what he did. Yeah, he stood up to leave, and everyone stood up. To show respect, and then that became the seventh inning stretch. Okay, and Sorry. he was just going to right. get a hot so dog. So, which one is the older brother here between the two of you? I'm the middle child. You're the middle, middle the child. I'm You're the youngest. youngest. So, mm -hmm. as a and you have an older brother uh, that's right. who uh, lives in Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, and His name is Curly. 
<laughs> then, oh, no, it's boy. not. It's champ. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so as young lads, uh, uh, at least the two of you, what kind of began your baseball journey? We are an Orioles family. We want to be very clear about that, right? Because we grew up in Bethesda, Maryland. <laughs> Our father was a big Yankee fan, even though he grew up in Massachusetts, which was, it, would you say that that was kind of a contrarian streak? That was really because of his uncle, because of our great uncle Angelo. A little bit, yeah, absolutely. Our dad was born in 1929 and uh, grew up in Lemonster, Mass., and um, adopted the Yankees early. And at that time, at least in, among his peers, every kid identified with one player, his hero. And it was oh. Lou Gehrig before it was Joe DiMaggio. It was oh, Lou Gehrig. And so, that, so it wasn't because of Joe DiMaggio and being Italian-American. It was something about Lou Gehrig. And then uh, he just st stuck with the Yankees. Yeah, but Donnie, his best friend, Donnie Reynolds, I'm guessing was, was probably- Was a Red Sox fan. Was, yeah, like a Ted Williams or- okay. I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah. You know what though, that happens as a kid, uh, I, I became, I mean, as a college sport, I became a hardcore Michigan Wolverines fan because my best friend was a Michigan State Spartans fan. So completely arbitrarily, I was like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not, we can't be this, we like the same team every other oh. thing. So at least this one, I want something to have some friction that's with. That's actually interesting. It's also sort of in the way that siblings choose different interests to stake out, but that's, I mean. Exactly. So yeah. I feel like your dad oh, may have had a little bit. Segue. Of <laughs> By the way, our, <laughs> dad, our dad was born in New Jersey. And right. he, he didn't move to Massachusetts so, well, until he was two. So it might have been. You think that, okay. Might have well, been some kind of like, I'm from New Jersey. Also, it's so. kind of impossible not to be a Yankee fan in that era. Where it's just, I mean, just look at the names you're right. mentioning but, there. But, just, but if you're from Massachusetts. Yeah, in Massachusetts. So. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I don't know. So he must have, was he aware of being oh, yeah. like an outsider yeah. in yeah. terms of I being think a Yankee so. fan? Sure. Yeah. But, but Angelo, right, loved. The, the Yankees too. I thought that that was part of the connection that his favorite uncle. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. But was, that, but he predated DiMaggio yeah. also. It wasn't. Right. So then, Dima, you know, Joe DiMaggio made Italian Americans feel more legitimate. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that less, was a like, real thing. Class. That was an actual thing that oh, really, for sure. They were second class citizens and yeah. him playing for the Yankees and Marilyn Monroe was le helped legitimize. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, if you look at sports history, every many ethnic groups that are, you know, upwardly mobile have gained legitimacy first time through sports, yeah. boxing, basketball, baseball. Yeah, sure. And then when we went on, it was like a very special Brady Bunch episode when we went on an airplane on Western Airlines in 1980 to go to um, California. It was a big deal for us. And we went to San Francisco. And didn't we go and sit in the restaurant that DiMaggio owned, hoping that he just might show up? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yes. yes. And yes. it turns out that his bet, my father's best friend growing up, Donnie Reynolds uh, from Lemonster, Mass., happened that day or that same weekend to go to old timers day at either Fenway Park or Yankee stadium and DiMaggio made an appearance there. That's so like funny. Kind of weird. But yeah, our, we went to the restaurant and then finally asked the manager, is he going to come in? <laughs> oh, no. He was like, oh, no, he's rarely, rarely here. <laughs> yeah. And that was your, that was your dad's yeah. idea. Yeah. 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 And so was he like listening to the radio, at, like following baseball? Well, what as a kid, do you know? My, earliest, start memory, the mid -30s, my right? earliest memory of baseball is um, we were at our cousin's in Baltimore, in the outskirts of Baltimore, um, his brother, my father's brother, mm -hmm. and uh, his two sons were around our age, and they were really into baseball, and they were watching an Orioles game on TV. Okay. And then yeah. I didn't really know what was going on. This was 1975 or so. Is this when they had a cemetery in the backyard? And a, and a cornfield. Yeah. And so it was like a little miniature field of dreams. They live right near a cornfield. If you build it, they will die. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so uh, my cousins went out to play baseball with their father. 
And so we went out and it was like Sunday and we were like nerdy. We were dressed in our Sunday church clothes and they were all casual. And so we went out to play and I didn't know what was going on. And they gave me a bat and I tried to swing. And I had no idea what was happening. And I'm sure at the time I recognized this is something I could do with my dad. And for many, many kids, their first shared activity with their dad, you know, is playing catch. Yeah. And so I got into it and then he went to, we went to a sporting goods store in Bethesda, Maryland, long ago closed Mitchell Sporting Goods. And I got a Johnny Bench autographed bat and a Paul Blair autographed uh, Wilson glove. I still have the glove. The Do you bat. know why those players, or was it just? Well, Johnny Bench was so popular, yeah. you know, in the mid seventies, the big red machine sure, was yeah. at the height of its powers. Paul Blair was the great gold glove center fielder, one of the greatest defensive outfielders. I've always thought of Johnny Bench as an uncontroversial Pete Rose. Does that make any sense? I'm, you are inside my brain. I don't know why, but I've always I connected those. <laughs> like, I, me too, I've connected those two in my life constantly i don't know why so you're the only other person that's had that thought that is hysterical yeah oh. i mean that's uh, i there's very little negative that's ever been it said was Johnny about Bench, Johnny Bench. Was, like stayed on the straight and narrow and right. they both I mean, and they both played forever like right. he played forever right he was he was a great player he was yeah. and catcher is such an yeah. important position they yeah. were such a great team and and george clooney told uh, when we were covering the yankees he visited spring training once and he told us, on a, as an aside, that uh, Johnny Bench hit on his mom at a Reds game. <laughs> <laughs> Rosemary Clooney, right? No, that's his aunt was Rosemary Clooney. Right, okay, but so yeah. it was his mom or his aunt that yeah, uh, Johnny Bench allegedly hit on. Yeah, that's yeah. really funny. So, um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I got into baseball, because a chance to be with my dad. And my parents brought me to my first game. Um, I was going to bring the ticket subs. I forgot. September 26, 1976, Orioles, Red Sox. We sat in right field with my uncle and, and cousins. Reggie Jackson was playing right field for oh. the Orioles. That was the year he played for the Orioles. People forget uh, before he signed with the Yankees as a free Can agent. Can I also just say that 1977 is the first year 76. that my, what did you say? 76. Oh, oh you said, oh, because 1977 was the first year that my favorite player, Eddie Murray, played for the Orioles. Yeah, he's also my favorite player. Yeah, and he was, well, we can, he's both of our favorites. Good. Rookie of the year. We, we figured this out. Wait, he can't be both of our favorite players. And he was drafted in 1973, but his first season was 1977, and, and he was the American League Rookie of the Year. And his middle name? I just know that his nickname is Steady Eddie. And that his full first given name? Is, uh, Eddie. was Eddie, that? Eddie. Eddie. Oh. Eddie Clarence Murray. That's really so cool. So that's his birth certificate. Eddie's and, in his, certificate. and he hit 333 home runs for the Orioles, and their, and <laughs> but, their address is on 33rd Street. And he, and he wore jersey number 33. And career-wide, uh, career <laughs> he hit 504 home runs, and he has a charity wine named Eddie Murray's 504 Cabernet. So that I didn't only know. Cha a charity wine. That's a sub subset <laughs> of wines. You just give to winos. <laughs> no, I don't know what it comes with a, a charity wine is. It's not even served in a bottle. It's in a paper bag. Yeah. The bottle looks yeah. like a paper bag. Yeah, there you go. It's, it's yeah. fortified. Sure. Um, I don't, but I don't know. You see, I, you like him for probably much more authoritative reasons. I just was drawn to his charisma and he just seemed like a. And the mutton chops. The mutton chops. He had great hair and he just seemed like. And wasn't he really good friends with Cal Ripken? Yeah, he was uh, very quiet, didn't cooperate with the media. So there was a little bit of an air of mystery. Um, uh, yeah. Incredibly reliable. But not aloof. It didn't seem aloof to me. Not with it's, his teammates. Yeah, right, they okay. loved him. Yeah. And, uh, but he was not cooperative with the media. And he was a great player, uh, switch hitter, clutch. Um, when he retired, he had the second most grand slams after Lou Gehrig. I think A-Rod passed him. Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow. And uh, his lifetime numbers with the bases loaded are crazy. He should have won the MVP many times, and people think that he didn't yeah. because of his, you know, um, uh, problems with the media. Oh, interesting. But he, but he got more MVP votes than 
anybody um, in a in a five or six year stretch. In and his first season is the only one that he struck out more than a hundred times. We were just talking about this. Yeah, it's it's the, the amount of strikeouts today is so. Everyone's talking about the Yankee lineup this year in 2018. Everyone's saying, "Oh, the Yankee lineup's right. going to hit a thousand home runs. They're also going to strike out two thousand times." Like it is just, it is absolutely insane how people just don't care about strikeouts anymore. And and that's a whole other long sabermetrics conversation. But uh, <laughs> Mo's making a phone. A very Mo's making phone Mo's call. making a phone call. One second. No, we're just going to see if our. We booked a special guest appearance. <laughs> There's. <laughs> Let's see if the special guest answers the phone. Hello. I am here. Okay, what? Well, come downstairs. We we want to talk to you. We have some questions for you. All right, I'm coming. Okay. All right. Well, we're not going to say who that is quite yet, but it's a very very interesting voice, and I'm 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 absolutely. <laughs> I'm over the moon excited about what's about to happen, but uh, it's not Cheetah Rivera. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a Broadway podcast. Although it could be, it could be, it could be. I've seen her her bombard a couple things here and there, and just kind of walk in and start talking. Cheetah, sure. Uh, <laughs> what's um, forgive me for not remembering the name of the old Baltimore Stadium uh, Memorial Stadium Memorial, right? And so that was the only stadium for the for that, those years until Camden, right? There was no yes. intermediary stadium. Yes. And can I say something contrarian? I actually now. Everything's a ballpark, and that like. But I like that at Memorial Stadium was metal and kind of ugly, and it was called a stadium. Can I, I tell you this, Mo? A little precious with like old timey <laughs> ballparks. But you know what? This is you well, are my, my 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 Met friends say the exact same thing about Shea. They mm-hmm. all align. Shea is this palace to them. I grew up in Tiger Stadium. Tiger Stadium was a palace, you know, to me. So I love the old ballparks, um, but. Your first ballpark is always going to be the one that you have this insane connection to. I'm Correct. sorry to say you were a guest on this show, and I appreciate you've invited us into your lovely home. You're wrong. Those stadiums are awful. First of all, it's stadia. Stadia? 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 stadia. 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 It's, we it's, Latin. It's, <laughs> I mean, have you been to, like, the Coliseum in Oakland? I mean, that's Terrible. a stadium, it's and it's it's it's. Awful. It's so impersonal. It's so cold. It's so unfeeling. It's so uncaring. Yeah, there's an era. You're, there's like a Soviet style. There is a preciousness. Thing. I agree with you. We're trying a little too hard to be too. Oh, look how it's Brick like. And, I, I agree. It, it can be too hipsterish. Like Camden sometime. though. What's that? Do you not like Camden? I mean, Camden's, Camden's a, Camden's a I heaven. I mean, I know that Camden Wright is the first. What's his face? Larry. What's his name? Larry Lucchino. It's the first right. retro ballpark. Right. And it. He. I think he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Here's the thing about and probably because of that. Well, here's who I want to go. I want Janet Marie Smith to go to the Hall of Fame because that's her ballpark. I know Larry is the one who, but Janet Marie Smith is the one who deserves a Hall of Fame uh, induction. She is the one who designed, her firm designed uh, Camden. She also had a huge hand in Turner Field and the Fenway renovations. She works at Dodger Stadium now. Janet Marie Smith is one of my heroes, and it's a name that not many baseball people know, unfortunately, or at least baseball fans, I should say, know. I think the hardcore fans. They said the the hardcore fans know, but the general public, honestly, right now, if you know who, you know, uh, Janet Marie Smith is, at Clubhouse Pot, at, at Ronnie Third MJ, at Albino Kid, let us know. Because Jan, do you know Jana Marie Smith? Who is she? See, Jana Marie Smith, she is the architect behind Camden Yards. She's the architect. So he's, he's he's writing campaign letters against her I think for, even, for 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 the old time ball. You did parks. the thing on Fenway Park, okay? Because she um, also helped with the renovations at Fenway and and at Turner Field, and she's just 
amazingly brilliant I woman. See, I, she sounds like the, the like the nun who got Sean Penn off of death row. <laughs> Sorry, we never heard that name. Sit, and Please. this is our special guest. This is our very Ma? special guest. This is, uh, can, uh, yes, would you yeah. like to share a letter your mic? What? Oh, come to please, 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 we have, we have a seat for you right come here. Come sit right here. <laughs> you don't have to. That's fine. <laughs> oh, there's a shoeless, there's a shoeless house. Yeah, shoeless Ma from, from <laughs> Colombia, from Bogota, hello, Colombia. Anthony. Nice to meet you. So, who is this? Who do we have here? Shoeless Teeny Raka. Shoeless Teeny Raka. She's sitting in the Lazy Boy, which just reared back. So, introduce This is How do you want to introduce yourself? What is your name? My name is Maria Luisa. Okay. Oh, closer, closer. Cerca. What? Cerquita. But my nickname is Teeny. Teeny? T-I-N-I. Very nice to meet you. So we've heard that you actually might be the biggest baseball fan out of all of us. Is this true? Yes, I am, of course. <laughs> oh. I was. I have been playing that game, you know, the MLB. Beat the streak. Oh, beat the streak, yeah. Three, and I got up to 23. 20? Wow, that's higher than I've ever gotten. Okay. <laughs> that was two years ago. Yeah. Last year I didn't do that well. Do you Only have thirteen? She sits there like a bookie with like I an say, iPad yeah. on one knee and the iPhone on the other, comparing who's do, doing what because she's trying to get the five point six million dollars. Yeah, so yes. what's your strategy? I was kind of trying to figure out what exactly. How do you choose your your player for the day? Well, I know who is good. <laughs> 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 like um, ¿cómo se llama el el Altuve. Oh. Yeah, we love Altuve. Yes. We love and, him. And uh, from Cincinnati, Cosar. Uh, oh. She's pretty good, too. She's like a scout. Yeah. I mean, she was, yeah. telling me about, she was telling me about players I'd never heard of. Yeah. There was the uh, the, uh, the catcher, the backup catcher from the Mariners. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, with a Z, I can't oh, Zo Zolo, Zinio, something like that. I know I can't Zillow. Remember. She yeah, suddenly yeah. picked this guy, and I'm like, I never even heard of him, and he got a hit. <laughs> so, Tina, how did you get into baseball? What what well, brought you to the game? Actually, because Florence, oh. because I'm from Colombia originally, from Bogota, mm -hmm. and they don't play baseball there. But he started playing when he was like in the third grade, mm -hmm. so I learned the game. And we used to go with my husband to all the games. All the games. Was this in Baltimore? What? All the games. All the games. Yeah. You went to 81, you would go to like, or 70. To the games I played. Oh, oh, sorry. In grade yeah. school and high school. Oh, okay, okay. And then Maurice played too. I hit it a great catch one time. Well, it was the famous St. Camillus catch, which he probably, I mean, I'm He made a catch that uh, rivaled, that surpassed the catch Lupus makes at the end of Bad News Bears. <laughs> It was, it was more surprising, more emotional. It was incredible. It was actually incredibly emotional because I was, I was really afraid to play baseball. I was afraid of team sports in general. And, 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 and um, I screwed up earlier in the game. And I think, was I in center field or right field? He was playing center field. Center field. And this hit came and I just ran and ran. And Wait, no, let ahead. me say. So he was playing center field. And the opposing team, I think it was St. Camillus. It was St. Camillus. Had a fat kid who, like, like out of the movies, he couldn't button his shirt and oh. tuck his in his shirt. And he was hitting these crazy monster long foul balls to left field. Three, four, five, six, and he just kept fouling off these long. And so the team was just, you know, gradually, our Little Flower, uh, we the went to Little team. Flower grade school, the CYO team. He was playing center field for the Little Flower, like midget B team. And they just kept shifting, you know, before Joe Madden, before Lou Boudreau, <laughs> yes. after Lou Boudreau, before Joe Madden, kept shifting, kept shifting. 
and he hit another one. And suddenly he had been playing center field. He had, he kept shifting over to left field and he caught the ball in foul territory wow. deep in the left field foul corner. It was wow. like this crazy, like out of the blue, like Derek Jeter shut up out of nowhere to do the flip. <laughs> yeah. Like this was a more dramatic it, shift. There was a famous photograph, right, of Ty Cobb doing a, a catch, I think. And that's sliding what, into third. Really? Yeah. I thought it was like a tie. Look, all I know is an extremely dramatic catch and it was a watershed moment in my life and everyone <laughs> like in a movie came out and cheered and like surrounded me. And it was it, it was actually, I, 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 I honestly have not had a feeling like that in my life. It was extremely emotional because I, I felt terrible before them. I felt like I was just like a drag on the team and I don't know where the gumption or whatever sh- shred of confidence came from to run and try to get that ball and I got it. And, and, thank and God. like lunging, lunging, Full extension. Yeah. The only thing he didn't do was dive, but totally full extension, lunging, like highlight real catch. And everyone on the team, it was the end, the last out of the inning. This like Babe Ruth, right handed Babe Ruth fat kid from St. Camillus. And everyone <laughs> on the team ran out. To, to like not carry him off the field, but almost like that's escort amazing. him back. But you know, but that's another thing. But, but that, it was really crazy because right after he quit. You know what? <laughs> you know what? They quit on top. You, you quit exactly. on experience. You, just, did. you just say, I'm it's retiring. Exactly. Like <laughs> 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 he hit the I'm home run, t- and then <laughs> it was done. But I do like the disappointment in your mother's so voice we there. so disappointed <laughs> that we couldn't see him playing again. Oh. Oh. It's just like... It's just like, you know, Seinfeld or the Mary Tyler Moore show. They ended while they were on top. <laughs> exactly. And then you still had Larry here. He could, you know, he was still playing a little bit. When he was uh, in college, too. No, well, that was, we already covered that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was too far for us to go. <laughs> he went to Colby, that is in Maine. Yeah. Really far. Yeah. yeah. So did you, did, did you become an Orioles fan also? Oh, yes, yeah. of course. That was my first team. And, and but what, then, then when Lawrence started uh, working for the newspaper, I would go wherever he covered. Okay. If he covered the Yankees, I'll be a Yankee fan. Oh, you he would? Went, you would actually change your allegiance? See, yeah, yeah. And then to the Mets. <laughs> Is it, isn't it partly also your relationship with Bobby Valentine? Oh, yes, Bobby, of course. Then I became a fan of the Boston when Bobby was... Uh, Managing. Sure. They did but, him wrong. They, I did not like. Bad. He no, was like, bad, but they also, I didn't like the way they treated Bobby. I love Bobby he was V. He set up to fail there. Exactly. That was almost impossible. And when you situation. hire Bobby V, you know what you're getting. And all of a sudden to act like, you know, it's just that that whole thing yeah, really bummed me out. It was, uh, he was, I mean, he was set up to fail completely. Well, the whole thing started when I went to Japan because Bobby was managing a team there. Yeah. The Chibalote. So we used to go to all the games. Yeah. We went all over Japan following the team. Yeah. Did you enjoy the cheering sections in Japan? Oh, yes. Because I, I went to, I've been to one game in Japan where it was the, um, uh, oh my God, in the the Osaka team. The the, the Hanshin Tigers. Hanshin Tigers, in, who have a huge, in, crazy. Was it in Kobe? Did you no, know? It, was, it was in Tokyo. Okay. Yeah. It was in Tokyo against the Tokyo Swallows. The Yakult Swallows. Yakult yeah. Swallows. Um, in Jingu Stadium. Yeah. Babe Ruth played in that stadium. Wow. So, but the 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 Hunch and Tigers cheering team. Those are amazing, incredible. We also went to Sendai. You know Sendai. I'm not sure. The, no. the, the town that disappeared with the tsunami. Oh wow! We it was damaged. It, it we survived, there. but it's damaged. That's where Tanaka, the Yankees pitcher Tanaka, came from. Oh, Rockton. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> but you, we went to a game and uh, we saw Hunch and Tigers home game together. A couple in Koshien Stadium, which was built for the national high school tournament. Years before the pro league even started in Japan, wow. Ruth so high school in, baseball is that 
big over there? Or? Yeah, it's the biggest. Wow. And uh, but the Hanshin Tigers home <laughs> crowd is totally amazing. It's I've been in every major league stadium, every major league city. I haven't been in the most recently built um, MLB stadiums. I've been in many minor leagues. I've been Cuba, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Dominican Republic, every city, every major league city in Japan, without a doubt, a Hanshin Tigers home game is number one fan experience in the world. There's, it's without a doubt, the most incredible. And we went and my mom, we went back to the hotel at night and she said she couldn't sleep for hours because the adrenaline was flowing so much because of the, how crazy and, uh, the fans it's were. It's amazing that after the game, they clean up. The fans, yeah, the fans clean up. Yeah, I was uh, so earlier this year. There's something called the World Baseball Classic, where all these teams from around the world come to play. And I went down to Arizona, and Team Japan was playing the Cubs just in kind of a warm up game down in in spring training. And after the game, I was sitting next to Team Japan's dugout. I looked over, and the Cubs dugout is just you know filthy with seeds and plastic cups and everything just all over the place. I look over. I took a picture of it. I looked to my right. It is, when I say spotless, like that dugout looked better than it did That's before the game. Oh, and these are the, the players cleaning up at it. It's it just, it was, I've heard these stories before, but I'd never actually seen it. And it was so like refreshing and awesome and cool to see how much respect they had, yeah. you know, sitting in this section with other Japanese fans. And they all started picking up after them. It was such a surreal experience to watch fans start picking up after themselves where I kind of felt shamed into doing it myself. I was like, I should probably when, clean up. Here, when you leave this stadium, it's a mess. Yeah, no, yeah. 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 Ma, if you could have dinner with any major league baseball player, who would it be? Oh, wow. That's a difficult question. Oh, my gosh. Let me think. Just thinking. Wow. I cannot think about it. Well, you have favorite Maybe players. Maybe Manny, Macha- Manny Machado. Oh, oh Manny Machado, yeah. So are you still an Orioles fan? Like, basically, I know you're a fan of whatever yeah, team. Yeah, but, but at the end of the day, you're still an Orioles. Basically, the Orioles, yeah, because we live in Maryland. Mm-hmm. So we grew up seeing them. I mean, they grew up. And have you been? I mean, you've been to Camden Yards. I'm assuming. Yes, a few times. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it is it's it's. I know your your one of your sons may disagree with this, but in my opinion, it is the best baseball park on the planet. I still have the tickets from the first game. But that's Remember? Memorial. So yeah, that's, no, I mean, that's, that's awesome as well. well. She also has tickets from Camden Yards because they they had tickets for some games that were wiped out by the strike. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. That and in thing. fact, my mom. Oh. Got her U.S. citizenship on, was it July 1, 1995? I don't remember. And you went to a game with, uh, she went to a game with our dad. <laughs> on that day. The Orioles game against the Yankees. I think it was the only day they were in first place that season, something like that. And she got sworn in that same day. And it was like the That's group, really All-American. How appropriate. Yeah, it right? was an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, I have a question about the ja- difference between Japanese and American ballplayers. When you were covering the Yankees... Was that, I doubt, forgive me about not knowing okay. the timeline, was Matsui? Yes, yes. So you've covered, you've been a part of Japanese teams that have some American players, yes? Mm-hmm. And then you've been a part of American teams that have some Japanese players. In fact, players. I covered Nomo's first two years with the Dodgers. Oh, okay, okay. And wrote extensively for newspapers and magazines in Japan. Wrote in English, they translated to Japanese. Yeah. Wrote a book about his first season in Japan, and in, in the U.S. And I covered Nomo, I covered... Um, uh, Matsui. Yeah. Um, I've interviewed Ichiro. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Japanese players. Uh, Yoshi. A lot of other guys that came over. Do you see a difference between the Japanese players coming here and American players going there in terms of how they're accepted or treated or you know vice versa? Any anything that, that jumps out at you? Well, how long is the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I want to say this delicately, but. Um, 
you know, Japan um, was in self-imposed isolation for what what was it, 250 or 350 years. Yeah. And we, we forced them to open up to the outside world in the 1850s with the gunboats, Perry and everything. They are... St- they are, you know, ambivalent participants in the in the world, hmm. and so um, I think if Japanese were given truth serum and they had a secret ballot, like they would have no immigrants in the country. Hmm. And it's not hostile. Um, it might sound silly to say it that way. It's the most racist, civilized country in the world, and they view us all as, uh, you know developed monkeys. I, I was the, I lived there for five years. I was the Charlton Heston character in the original Planet of the Apes for five years. Mm. That's how my coworkers viewed me. Mm. And so the players, the foreign players that come over, um, they want them to succeed and do well, but not be too good. So they don't want them to surpass the achievements of the Japanese yeah, players. Yeah, you might edit this out. It's like being a black high school basketball player in Boston in the 1970s. Yeah. Like, Tyrone is supposed to be good, but he's not supposed to be the leading scorer. He should make the pass to Thurston for the game-winning yeah. shot. He can't be homecoming queen. Can't date the homecoming. Uh, he can't be homecoming king. He can't date the homecoming queen. So the foreign guys. So Alex Ochoa told me this story. Great guy. He played for Chunichi, um, and when he was hitting really, really well, his teammates kind of snubbed him. And when he was in a huge slump, they got frustrated. But when he was just, you know, Goldilocks, then all was good. That's he was doing so enough to set it up for them. All was right in the world. Yeah, but if he useful was useful for them without surpassing them. Yes, if he them. was the play, if he was the hero of the game, then after a while it got uncomfortable. You know, that's so interesting. And so over here, you know, I mean, I get a little carried away on this. It was one of the issues I have with travel cult teams and youth cult youth sports today. We were discussing earlier how uh, sports has been this great equalizer. Jackie Robinson was seven years before Brown versus Board of Education. Like yeah. all these different groups, you know, have, it's supposed to be totally merit-based. So, I mean, there's no particular um, ethnic or uh, racial or cultural bias against the Japanese that come over here any more than there is against the guys from Venezuela, Dominican Republic, anywhere else. You know, sure. if they're good, everything's fine. If if they're not, you know, they won't make the team. If they're jerks, they're not going to be as popular if they're good guys. I mean, Metsu is one of the most popular. Right. Was players. that always, it was, Nomo was the first? Nomo was the first to make the leap from their professional league. Right. There was a guy in the 60s, Masanori right. Murakami. From the Giants, right? Yes. Yeah. But, but and he, was, he pitched over here while there were still World War II veterans, you know, a lot yeah. of them in the stands. Yeah, yeah. And so that was a little weird situation. But was there was there any resistance to Nomo coming from any, the, the, as, as far uh, as you were aware? A, a tiny bit, um, so the origin of Nomo is that um, Peter O'Malley owned the Dodgers and his father, Walter O'Malley, owned the Brooklyn Dodgers and moved them to L.A. And back in the day in New York, uh, one of the things that teams intentionally did was they would get Jewish baseball players to attract fans. Mm. And so um, when they moved to California, Walter O'Malley told the scout, find me the Mexican Sandy Koufax. And then they eventually got Valenzuela. Fernando Valenzuela. Yeah. And then uh, back in the around that, the way he pitched. And back around that time, <laughs> the Dodgers made a goodwill tour of Japan after they won sometime around 1955-56. And it was this incredible, Jackie Robinson was on the trip, all the Dodgers stars were on that trip. And it was this incredible thing. And it made a huge impression on young Peter O'Malley. And he remembered what his dad had done. 
you know, with the with the Mexican Americans in Southern California. And so he just kept had this dream, like, we're going to get a Japanese player, we're going to get a Korean player, we're going to open up these markets, which is why we're talking about the WBC is kind of the strategy to open up new markets for mm -hmm. MLB. So they signed Chan Ho Park, uh, Korean, oh, sure, yeah. in 94. And then Nomo exercised a loophole to escape the Japanese league. And Peter O'Malley just gave him a huge signing bonus with all based off a of videotape, no real personal scouting. And uh, because he had, I want talent, but he had the marketing in mind. So there was a little bit of suspicion. Then he arrived and the strike was still going on. There was a lockout. So they had the replacement players on one side and he reported to the minor league camp with, you know, close to hundred reporters and TV and photographers following him. So, but he's so, Nomo is so humble such a team guy, so fearless. I mean, truly fearless that all the major league teammates immediately recognized what a great player, what a true like samurai spirit. I'm not saying that facetiously, yeah, no, like okay. unbelievable. Like they, they don't need to speak words. They can see major league players can instantly detect if a guy's afraid to pitch in a certain situation. If he's stepping off the mound, throwing to first base, stalling for time, or if he's attacking the the hitters with his best pitches or not. And Nomo just, they, you know, they say always took the ball, never made excuses, mm. was so incredibly, insanely competitive. He threw a no hitter at the end of the 96 um, season in Coors Field, which was unheard of. Yeah. You know, you couldn't even get a shutout there. Yeah. And his reaction was like, it was a regular season, you know, result. And all he cared about was that they won a game in a pennant race. Yeah. And it wasn't like, oh, I threw a no hitter. Yeah. And I mean, it was legit. Yeah. I mean, well, it wasn't I mean, like I, some I, false I humility. No matter yeah. who these Japanese players that come over here are, I don't care who they are, the, the amount of press that follows them from, from game to game just absolutely blows me away at how they're able to not necessarily shake it off, but just, I mean, it's every game is game seven of the World Series because of just there's 40 different yeah. press guys. And every I've been in a lot of press boxes, and anytime there's a big name uh, Japanese player there, you'll see 40 new people sitting next to you, you know, and it's yeah, just thing is being recorded right now. Oh my gosh, I have to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, Tini. This is this is all being recorded. <laughs> I, I have a question about Japan and baseball. I want to see a movie about, and I've only seen pictures, and Lawrence will know if there's footage of this, of when Babe Ruth visits Japan, like in the 20s. It just seems completely, it's almost spine tingling to watch because it seems, sorry, it, just, it, it, it might um, strike some people the wrong way, but it's almost like one person from a different planet is it visiting was. another. I mean, and what impact did that have? Oh, it was 1934. And uh, so there's the lots war, of photographs. Obviously. The country stopped. Uh, they took the steamship across. Lefty O'Doul um, had been organizing uh, barnstorming trips to Japan with major league players. And they hey, found- What was the impetus for that? Uh, some over the years, some kind of friendship, uh, fellowship. I, I'm not sure. They love baseball. Baseball was introduced to Japan in the mid 1870s by an American school teacher and immediately became incredibly popular as a team sport and kind of a martial art. And um, there's so many, you know, timeless qualities about it, almost an agrarian quality about it, became incredibly popular. And they did, and they did not have professional baseball until the mid 30s. So for 60 years, um, baseball thrived as a purely amateur sport. That's why that stadium, Koshien, was built for to to be the home of the national high school tournament, which still stops everything in the country for the entire month of August every year. But that visit of his was and it so they watershed. The, yes, it was the Yomiuri newspaper, which I believe is still the largest newspaper in the world, um, sponsored the trip, and they convinced him to come. And 
everybody stopped in the country. And so Jingu Stadium, where you went to the game with the Yakult Swallows, which should only seat about 40,000 people, something like 60,000 people packed in. Um, he played in Koshan in Kobe. There's a big plaque for him there. And um, he there's a famous picture of him holding, I think, an American flag and Japanese flag um, mm. in front of Tokyo Station. And this is and, the old Japanese flag, uh, right? Probably the war, or when maybe it was, remember after the war, didn't it have like the rays coming out of it during war? You know time? what? Uh, anyway. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know that. Okay. And um, he faced, he was struck out by Sawamura, who ended up dying in World War II as a fighter pilot for Japan. Wow. And the Sayang Award in Japan is named for this guy. He mm, struck out count. like Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig. He struck out five or six guys in a row. <laughs> Um, and he hated, at the time he was like hated America. They were already, the anti-American sentiment was rising. The nationalism and like the, the, you know, you could, the winds of war. Were but this of, transcendent that, right? Yeah. Yes, well, it did. So, so often does. So, so, the, oh, so the founder so of the Yomiuri newspaper, a guy named Shoriki, um, didn't like baseball. And he saw how popular and amazing sensation it was that Babe Ruth was there and everybody was buying the newspaper to read about. It. So he thought, let's create a baseball team so that people will buy the newspaper to read about the baseball team. So it was the so they so they created content for their media. So it was the first and last time that Japanese baseball was ahead of the game business wise. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then they needed other teams to play against to have a league. Wow. So the Hunching Tigers were yeah. created by this railroad company, which became a big conglomerate. And on and on and on. Eventually, I mean that know, right there is a movie in and of itself. I mean, just kind of the beginning of Japanese baseball, right. kind of being kicked off by by Babe Ruth. So any screenwriters out appearing. there? There you go, free idea he created, for you. And he was. I mean, he was larger than literally, literally larger. I than wonder life. if during the war, also, if he even one of the if, famous things during the war was to hell with Babe Ruth. We, what is that? One oh, of the for famous like gone? Tokyo Rose propaganda. Oh yeah, like the Japanese screaming like to hell with Babe Ruth. Like that was the worst oh. insult you could say to an American. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's wild. It well, nearly we, made a di it nearly made a difference in Iwo Jima. I'm just. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> what you were gonna say? No. Yeah. yeah. No. Actually, um, that's a that's a that's a very very weighty. I think that's that's the, the heaviest we've ever gotten on this on this show. And it's mostly true. I specialize in mostly true stories. <laughs> How many teams are in the Japanese league? Now? Twelve only. Right now, there's only twelve. Yes, okay. and it, that number's fluctuated over the years. Originally, there was a six-team league, the Central League. And then the, uh, that was Hanshin Tiger is currently Hanshin Tigers, Yomiuri Giants, Chinichi Dragons. Those are the three yeah. big ones. Yeah. You also Yokohama, uh, Hiroshima, yeah. um, and um, I don't know why I'm drawing a and the Swallows. Yeah. And then the Pacific League was our team, the Chibolota Marines, Nippon Ham Fighters. So Nippon Ham is a company that owns the Fighters. The fighters They're not right. the Nippon Ham, ham Fighters, fighters yeah, which we all many yes. Americans think. Yes. And uh, <laughs> That's who uh, Otani, the sensation, which sure. the Angels now played for, um, and um, SoftBank, which is owned fighter by sounds like some borscht belt joke. <laughs> SoftBank, which is owned by Sone uh, Masayoshi Sone, the second <clears throat> richest man in Japan, and uh, and so the set, the Pacific League, the team I worked for, the Chibolo Marines, were in the Pacific League. They're like a cross between the USFL and the Negro Leagues. Like they they don't have the main, they don't have the old uh, main media. You know, they don't have the free sure. network TV behind sure, them sure. And, and the major newspapers don't cover them as much. Sure. And so um, it's getting a little more balanced. But, uh, you know, here in the U.S. now, the American League and National League are indistinguishable. They might as well be they're no different than the National League Central and the National League West, you know. Well, except the DH. OK, that's true. But as far as like um, 
the, all the rights are pooled, all the t national TV rights and all the international oh, TV rights are shared yeah. equally. All the licensing yeah. money is shared equally. All the internet money is shared mostly equally. There's yeah. a little bit of a local revenue carve out. In Japan, everybody, and it's, the, it's one of the great ironies that in Japan where there's so much, um, everything's about the collective yeah. and uh, the individual, you know, is supposed to uh, uh, subordinate himself to the collective uh, in Japan, every team is for himself. Everyone owns its own media rights and everything. And so they haven't figured out like that, you know, the league is only as strong as the weakest team. What about when a home team, you know, like revenue for ticket sales? Yes. How does that work? They keep it. So the, the, the home team keeps all revenue. The I, visiting team gets nothing. I, they might share a little bit. Um, I, one of my jobs for the team was to sell sponsorships. So when we made it to the Nippon series, I had sold advertising. They have advertising on the helmet, the jersey and the pants in the Pacific League. I think they might have it on the Central League also. So we sold a sponsorship to MasterCard on the batting helmet, but we were only allowed to have it on our home games. Hanshin <laughs> wouldn't allow us. That's funny. You know, because they weren't going to get any money and they didn't want us. It's like, well, if I don't get the cake, I'm going to spit on it. You can't have it either, you know? So <laughs> it just was like com completely preposterous. That's really funny. And, uh, but yeah, that's the way it is. And d in terms of like the approach to hitting which is observable to me. Yes. And I don't know that much about the science of hitting. Yes. But the, you know, the sort of diving out of the box as you're hitting. Aversion slap. to strikeout. Yeah. So, so that's, you were talking about the strikeouts going crazy here in the U.S. There, they don't want to strike out. Bobby Valentine had a theory um, that the goal. They lots of walks. Lots of walks. They love to have the kids walk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's why. Bobby has a theory that in Japan, Everybody's supposed to give max effort and there's, they always seek win-win solutions for every business negotiation and everybody does their job when they fully exert themselves. And he believes that maybe not consciously, but somewhere in the baseball culture, a full count is considered a success for everybody because the batter has a three and two. So, but in there it's two and three, they go strikes, then balls. Oh. A two, three count in Japan is a great success for everybody because the pitcher has thrown the maximum number of pitches he can before there must be a, a decision. The batters face the maximum number of pitches before there's an outcome. And the umpire has made his <laughs> And so he believes, and I believe he's right, that pitchers in Japan, they all throw so many different pitches. Yeah. And so they, they, their goal is to get to three and two and then shock the batter with a pitch they've never seen and conceived of. Like, the, you know, the wacky screwball that they threw in that episode of Fantasy Island. Yes. <laughs> remember that? That seems and, incredibly inefficient. Oh, just the same thing. The games yeah. are endless. Uh, that's why uh, Matsuzaka, uh, he threw routinely through like 200, 250 pitches in yeah. a game when he was over there. Nomo. That's why major league teams are worried about people like you Darvish. Well, so I see these guys come over here and they have great first years, but then their abused. arms kind of fall off after abused. the second or third year. And yeah. that makes a lot more sense as to why that they're not used to kind of the, even the change, like your body is used to throwing X amount of pitches, X amount of innings a year. And then it goes back down and just that difference in, in, in exertion on your arm can kind of. Plus also the ball is a little different. Plus also right. they pitch How's only the once a week. Different? It's a, the size is slightly different. The seams are slightly different. I can't tell you exactly. I is don't. it heavier? Uh, so I don't, think there I'm not sure yeah there might be a slight difference there is a slight difference it's not huge but there's enough that they can tell I object and, to the to the strike ball thing because if it's ball strike it's alphabetical order if you ever get confused <laughs> sorry but not in Japanese oh uh -huh. that's why they do it the opposite yeah, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure I'm not sure I think they just do it because it's a uh, you know numerical so all three of you have obviously gone to games in Japan 
correct? I have not. You've I've never not. been. No, I've not. I've not been. I lived in Japan years before, but I, I must admit that I never went to a baseball game there. But he went to Kabuki Theater when he's in Japan, and I've never been <laughs> yes. to Kabuki yeah. Theater. Yeah. So, I, no, I've never. I've done yeah. both. So yeah, I, I've okay. done both. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. Right, so then, uh, do you guys go to a lot of games here in the states? Is that something where are you still able to, you know, with your busy schedule, with your, I mean, teen, how about yourself? Do you, do you go to games here? Oh yes, a couple of times we went to Yankee Stadium. There, yeah. The, the new one or the old one? Uh, the new one. Yeah. Uh, we were there in August. In uh, September, September, my mom and I went. Um, so a little trivia is that we are friends uh, from high school days with Brian Cashman. Oh, sure. GM. Yeah. Uh, he and I were uh, classmates, mm -hmm. and um, Mo is two years behind us, and he and I uh, were baseball teammates. We were co-captains of our high school baseball team. How was he? How was he on, great, on the field? Great player. Great yeah. player. Super competitive. All-American boy. Very tough. Fearless. That makes sense. And, uh, and so uh, he's hosted us. And then we have a buddy that works for the Yankees. And I have my baseball. I have a lifetime. And last time we all went together, our mother met Jesus. <laughs> how, do you, how do you figure that? Yeah. First I met Bobby. He was there. And then Jesus. Oh, my God. Jim Caviezel. Oh, <laughs> Like, we were at we, we were at a charity kind, event. We were at a charity see, event hosted by, by our buddy George well, Rose. Uh, at first he was a little bit annoyed, but then I got close to him and then he hold my hand. Well, there you go. Yeah, at first he was like the Jesus yeah. of the apocrypha who can get really angry and vindictive, but then he became more like the gospel Jesus. Is Jesus a Yankee no. fan? Is he? Um, I don't think Jesus has declared a. Any preference is for Caviezel? teams? No, Jim Caviezel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jim Caviezel, uh, not. Yeah. I think Jim Caviezel is a Yankee fan, but Jim Caviezel is friends with George Rose. George Rose is a Yankees executive. George Rose originally was Irabu's interpreter for the Yankees. Then the Yankees hired him to do um, business development in Japan. He is an executive for them. He help, does some work for teams in Japan. He had rented out a suite um, to raise money for a charity that he founded uh, to help. Um, Recovering uh, uh, substance abusers. Oh, wow. And uh, a big fan of so that. Jim Caviezel, uh, yeah, it's called um, Tabor House. And uh, so he got the suite, and then we would, you know, we paid to go, and then there was a little auction, and Jim Caviezel to support his charity came. And, oh, but, they, but they got to know each other over the years. And so we were at that event and Bobby Valentine was there and Jesus and, yes. Ka and Brian Cashman. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, Mo did the reading at the Papal Mass. So um, for Pope Francis at Madison Square Garden, so our mom was able wow. to encounter Jesus before uh, the Pope. meeting the Pope. Yes, <laughs> yes. that is very few people have a can pretty claim fantastic that. Yeah. week. Well, what do you got? Communion from Pope Benedict, then Jesus, then Pope Francis. So what do you got in your uh, hand here? My, what are you you're uh, showing us something card. here? Oh, my gold Francis. card, baseball writers. Pope Francis, no, Benedict. Well, you got communion from oh, Pope Benedict yeah, at Yankee yeah. Stadium. Oh, okay. At the sure. old Yankee Stadium. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I'm holding a card in my hand here. I'm just going to go ahead and read it out. Uh, there's the Baseball Writers Association of America. There's a very good picture of Mr. Larry Rocca. From my sophomore year in high school, apparently. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Larry so Rocca is a, is a duly qualified member and is entitled to press courtesies of the clubs of the National and American Leagues of Professional Baseball. Uh, that's the gold. That's the baseball writer's gold card. So this is my very first one uh, when I covered the Angels in 1994. This is the last one I had. You can see how they kind of developed over the years. Once you're a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America for 10 consecutive years, you get to vote for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And whenever you retire, you are a lifetime gold card holder. So I can go to any regular season game, I think, except for opening day. 
um, without a ticket, I can just go. And then I had a lifetime vote for the Hall of Fame also. Yeah. But I lost that vote a couple years ago. They changed the voting rules because there were too many non- yeah, um, active writers yeah, voting, yeah, yeah. and it was controversial because I was one of the outspoken people who wouldn't vote for anybody from the steroid era. Yeah. But now he can vote for the Academy Awards. They yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Me too. Which, but, but if you don't mind my asking about this, there's a couple things I'd like to ask about the Hall of Fame voting. <laughs> Do you know people in the Baseball Writers Association who say I will never make sure anyone gets 100, percent so I will always? I don't know anybody. I mean, that ha- I don't know anybody that has it attitude um, obviously there are people that do there's got to be because well no there's at least three for griffey jr because I, I think mean, griffey jr was right. three or four short right. of 100 nobody's ever been unanimous ty yeah. cobb and babe Ruth i understand so but, but what, joe dimaggio didn't the, make it his first there year are people who are saying i won't vote for but that's the that's, but that's what he just said is the point that's the I reason know, but why you know, here's the thing that i understand <coughs> and it's a little weird but i also I am a little dismayed that that has become the focus. Ken Griffey Jr. got elected with, I think, the highest percentage 99.7%. And there were people fixating on, like, well, who didn't vote for him? It's like, who cares? He got the highest vote ever. But I think, that, I think the point is, I'm like said, not sure. I think the point is, how in the world can you not vote for Ken Griffey? But I'm, especially, but I'm, saying, but I'm saying the point is, like, why are, who Well, because cares? especially when we're, the we're, most ever. we are living in this era where there are several writers that hold your views. But it didn't of, have any, it, it was no of no consequence. You need 75% to get in. It's, it's still it's like about the, the Yankees symb- won the World Series in it's a still the symbolic sleep, nature but they didn't win every right. game by shutout. It, I can't believe the, they didn't. <laughs> I can't believe they didn't shut them out in that third game. Well, now, sure. What, what is it, what Anthony? Why, why do you find this problematic? Do you think that some writers are trying to make a point? Yeah, they're saying because Babe Ruth didn't get in unanimously, no one, no one can. So that feels like Maybe. a false because dichotomy. if that could be it, like, or it could be that people are right, and or it could be that people are saying I'm not voting for anybody from the steroid era. Because I wasn't. Right. <laughs> I'm actually relieved that I lost my vote. I could have just stopped voting. I wasn't going to vote for Derek Cheater. And I didn't want people to try to kill me on the streets <laughs> right. of New York. So sure. maybe you should edit this out. But, <laughs> but I, you know. It's your voice, that, not mine. I think that um, it's so obvious to me that nobody had more power to get rid of steroids than the biggest stars in baseball. Yeah. All they had to do was say enough, and it would have been over the next day. They're the ones that fought the testing. They're the ones that um, silently allowed it to happen. And everyone who's Hall of Fame eligible, uh, statistics-wise, used steroids. It's you're a Pollyanna to believe otherwise. We know that steroids worked. We know the usage was rampant. So then how is it possible that somebody could put up Hall of Fame numbers over his career against a bunch of cheaters— without cheating himself. If you believe that Pedro Martinez didn't take steroids during his career, then you have to believe that if every one of his competitors had been clean, he would have gone 500 and 0, thrown 86 no hitters. You know, I mean, it's just silly. They all used, they all cheated. Every one of them, without a doubt. I don't know. I I can't, without a doubt. And I can't prove that. But what I can prove is that they didn't make any effort to get rid of cheating. Rick Helling stood up in a union meeting a nondescript, you know, journeyman player said, we have to do something with this. Everybody knew it was happening and we have to do something about this and crickets. And if Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox and Griffey and little Derek Jeter had said he's right, it would have been over the next day. And the, and on top of that, before we preempt any arguments, <laughs> oh, they took uh, greenies in the past and this and this. Every guy, who t- every guy who's ever taken steroids thought he was cheating. 
He knew he was cheating. Yeah. And the proof is that he doesn't admit it, doesn't talk about it. He still denies Wait, it. What are greenies? Amphetamines. Yeah, amphetamines, yeah, amphetamines that, that they use, like Hank Aaron and all those guys. They used to sometimes, but they would put yeah. them in like uh, the coffee. coffee. Yeah. So like there were there's stories about clubhouse attendants not knowing and like having some coffee and like yeah. Like but and I'm also the real Mr. Coffee. <laughs> yes. yeah. And I'm still also of the opinion that there's a massive chasm of difference between greenies and anabolic steroids. Where <laughs> it's just like there's there is. there's. But I, on top of that, but the main difference is that the players who took greenies, they all did it. It was part of the culture. They all know right. it, and they didn't consider it cheating. Right. And so the Hall of Fame has six creden- six criteria, and they're they're listed one after another on the ballot, and there's no weighting. So there should be treated equally. Ability, playing record, contribution to your team, integrity, character, and sportsmanship. Mm. And how do you get anything above an F? How do you get anything above a zero in integrity, character, and sportsmanship by making zero efforts to get rid of steroids? And if the answer is, well, everyone did it, then that means they got an average performance in that category. And we don't put people in the (laughs) Hall of Fame for being average. Interesting. So, you know, you guys should. Everywhere. What about the Academy Awards? Well, I don't know that they take Vin Diesel <laughs> and The Rock. Vin Diesel and The Rock. Oh, that's- How do they pick the people? Uh, that's very subjective. No, I, I see what she's saying. It's all very subjective. No, you, you make a very valid point here. Where it is, especially when it comes to, since there is no, I mean, the, the line of demarcation used to be 500 home runs, 300 wins, 3,000 hits. Like, there were these check marks that you can say, if right. you reach these goals, right. you're in no matter what. Unfortunately, the steroid era has put just such this unfortunate Paul over all it's these numbers. Trait. So you're right. So it's now become more of a subjective thing than a numbers thing. Cause it is, I'll be honest. I, I mean, I'm very conflicted with, with hall of fame voting in general. And, and I am of the opinion that guys like Bonds and Clemens, McGuire, Sosa, Palmero, et cetera, shouldn't be in. But then I, I guess I, I don't go as far as you because I with, with Pedro, with Griffey Jr., with Frank Thomas, with these guys who I, there has been no even like whiffs of of allegations towards I know, but them. That's like, but then that means that George Mitchell decides who gets in the Hall of Fame, and that means that Kirk Adamski, because the one clubby. I mean, it's just they're they're. I think they're all eligible, or they're or none of them are eligible. And so I it's mean, an it's an honor. Look, the Hall of Fame was a museum created in the 1930s, and they asked the baseball writers to vote for third-party credibility and for marketing help. Yeah, of course. And so the baseball writers over the years have have not recognized that how much they've lost their leverage and their power, and they've lent their imprimatur to this thing that's broken. And so the, the Hall of Fame asks them to vote each year. The writers have... a. Uh, you know, I think foolishly, the association has foolishly allowed the Hall of Fame to determine which writers are eligible and which are. You want us to vote? We'll decide who gets to vote. You don't you don't want us to vote? We won't. And if the criteria is here, then they have to do a better job of explaining. I, I believe, and I, I have many friends that are still voting, and I love them and respect them. I disagree with how they do their ballot. I don't think you can just ignore. A lot of people say, well, there's an integrity clause. It's not a clause. There's six criteria listed in a row. They're equal. Meant to be equal, yeah. And so if you don't, and and so they were like, well, Ty Cobb was a racist. Terrible. (laughs) This guy cheated on his taxes. Okay, within the context of the game, whatever whatever the contemporary standards. Well, Ty Cobb ran into the stadium and beat up somebody (laughs) during a game. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not (laughs) saying it's okay. You judge people. It's dangerous to judge people in the past on today's criteria. So whatever the contemporary standards are for behavior and whatever the idea of integrity, uh, sportsmanship and character is today. And so 
by definition, if you take a drug that you believe is cheating because you and you clearly think you're cheating because you won't admit it and you deny it and you don't talk about it, well, then you get it zero on integrity, character, and sportsmanship. Yeah. All right, we're gonna have to move on real quick, but I, th- that's okay. I, I do want to ask edit. one last. No, I want to ask I one. Just want, may I interrupt you for a moment and just say that one thing? <laughs> it is your apartment. <laughs> that, you know, that one person who didn't cheat was Sandy Koufax, and I met him. <laughs> I agree, one hundred percent. But Sandy I met Co- him because. Because um, the, my brother was the comedian at the Baseball Writers Dinner here in New York. The New York chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America has an annual dinner and where the hall, where the, all the awards are presented. Yeah. I mean, they, they've been announced, you know, months yeah. before, but the national awards are presented. MVP, Cy sure. Young Manager of the Rookie of the Year. And then there's some New York uh, awards. And it's a really nice, if you're into baseball, it's a great event. Uh, like the Hyatt or whatever, How can right? we get, it's, can it's we get the, on the list? How you, can, you can buy I'll, tickets. I'll buy a ticket. And they, and they keep the tickets. Uh, no, we were there that year for Broadway Con when, yes. when they were there. During this, the blizzard. The, the, this is a couple years ago, and the BBWA dinner was the exact same weekend as Broadway Con. And so it was great. There was this big hotel filled with Broadway superstars and baseball God, superstars. Yeah, damn Yankees 24 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Really he, was the comedian. he was the comedian yeah. for the dinner. That very oh, that was that year? That was oh, couple. That, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know how that, that was during the, the blizzard? Yeah, it was during the blizzard. No, it was what year was it? It was um Because it was like 2016. Right, but the year for us. he did it was the year Art Howe was hired to manage. Uh so it was 2003. I think it was January yeah. of 03 yeah. because Bobby had just been fired and Art Howe had been hired. So but uh, before we and move he had on a great joke about Art Howe. Just <laughs> and uh, move on. If you can give and a the <laughs> Uh, uh, a small response to now that Bud Selig is in, all bets are off. I think it's a total joke. Right, but I'm saying that not moving forward. I'm saying moving forward, I just now that Bud Selig right, is it's in. It's been ruined. I think it's been ruined. And so I'm, I said I'm relieved I'm not voting anymore. And I don't think – I think the baseball writers shouldn't participate anymore. I think So who do you think should vote? I don't care. It's a, it's a museum. It's a hall of fame. It's an honor. The statistics are there. Nobody's clawing back to statistics. They're not doing the thing the NCAA does where they vacate victories. Barry Bonds hit his home runs. Roger Clemens made his, you know, recorded his strikeouts. They've made their money. These are things that happened. They've been tarnished. That's a fact. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, I think for me, the Hall of Fame has lost its meaning. And I mean, it's not, it, it, and it's, by the way, it's an honor. It's not an entitlement. And so, you know, I don't think that I don't think the voting body has thought about it carefully. In my opinion, has not thought about it carefully enough and retained the actual value of the honor. I think it's now just, like you said, there's certain numbers you hit and, and the stats guys sit around. You know, the Malcolm Glad. I'm sorry, I know you wanted me to edit my answer. <laughs> okay. Malcolm Gladwell the, uh, with the uh, outliers, the 10,000 hour rule, I think is a good rule. And that you, have to, you become an expert. You have to be in this for 10 years. You can only be a card carrying member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. If you cover the rules are, you have to cover some minimum number of games a year. 110, 120 games a year. So if you're there every day, uh, you know, 120, 130 games out of 162 every year, and you and you have access to the players in the clubhouse before the game, and you watch the game, and you interview them after the game, over time, over 10 years, you become a relative expert on what it, what's necessary to be a major leaguer, to be a professional major leaguer, to be a sportsman-like sure. major leaguer, to have character, integrity, to be good, who contributes to the team. And so it made sense that they wanted the writers to vote. Alexa. So, <laughs> Wait, what's Alexa, how boring is my brother? <laughs> how much of a grandstander is my brother? 
And so now no, it's I like I was going to ask the Alexa who should us. be in the baseball, <laughs> right, the baseball Hall of Fame who should decide. Well, honestly. What? Ask Alexa. Alexa. You'll edit this out, right? No, it's no, all in. Part, but, it's, but my, it's, it's my the, ranching. The, 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 the my filibuster. I specialize in filibuster. No, look, I mean, here's, I, th I think... The thing that this whole rant has 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 showcased more than anything. I'd say filibuster. And, uh, filibuster. <laughs> like, I'm I'm in the ranting business myself, so I I get it. It's the amount of passion that comes out of these types of discussions, the Hall of Fame discussions. At the end of the day, whether you're on this side or the other side, that's what sports and baseball specifically is really all, right. all about. It's this argument of, I'm not going to convince you I'm right. You're not going to convince me that I'm right. We can try to figure out a way to, you know, come in the middle for some of these yes. things, but it's, it's, this also helps the Hall of Fame because we're going to argue about it every For day. Sure. So when you talk about marketing, this is the best marketing that the Hall of Fame can have, not including some people. Because here's the thing. You think a five-year-old kid right now would care about Pete Rose if he was already in the Hall of Fame? Pete Rose would be just an another name of an old-timer that no one's ever heard of. But because he is not... Pete's going to be known for a thousand years after this because he that's Pete will always be the guy. Why is he not in the Hall of Fame? But, you know, right now I, I'm even trying to pick of some arbitrary name from like the 1960s at the Hall of Famer. And I can't even think of a random name to come up. Eddie Murray is in the <laughs> Hall of Fame. He was yes, in 2003. But we all love Eddie Murray. Murray. And he went to high school with Ozzy Smith. Well, who's but also in the two, Hall of Fame. I have. I yeah. do kind of want to go back to the Eddie Murray podcast we were having but earlier. I, have two I was enjoying that. First that. of all, five-year-olds, most of them too many of them don't like baseball or don't care about Pete Rose. So first of all, about the passion over this argument, sure. this is part of the case for indirect proof that baseball is the most popular sport in America. You never hear this argument about who makes the football or basketball Hall of Fame. There's yes. never an argument about who's the MVP of of the NHL or who, who should have won the X Games in snowboarding or football. Football, there's never an argument. Nobody, I defy anybody listening to this right now without looking on the internet to name the last three NFL MVPs. They well, there's can't a, do it. But there's also, there's a, there's, there's, uh, there's I can't, a reason for that. People I, don't care as much. Well, I can't speak <laughs> to popularity as, as far as that because popularity is, is, is judged on different metrics and whatnot, whether it's ratings, whether it's money, whether it's conversation and whatnot. But the one thing that I will say, and I've worked in sports for 16 years, is that the level of passion that baseball fans have is absolutely more consistent and more insane than the other sports because – we have 162 games right. to watch, it's and so if you're ritual. if you're going to be a baseball fan, more profound going on here. I think that the, that the, we're wrestling over the soul of America, and either football or baseball <laughs> will triumph. I agree with you. I really do. But can you well, can you explicate that a little bit more? I, I for some reason, and, it, and obviously it was a big deal that brought in a whole lot of other people when the Cubs won the season before last. But you felt something deeper. It felt more profound. What was going on? Maybe it's that it's a, uh, it, it, the, the pace of the game that there's that it's less costumed. There's less armature or something. I don't know what it is, but you can when you think of baseball, there's a smell. There's like it, it, it you know, it, um, it, it somehow it's it's more ingrained in us. Well, it's back. We're saying why it appealed to the Japanese. It's sort of you know part of like an agrarian culture where it comes and goes with the seasons and there's no clock and it's just a more natural, organic game. Right, it's and, more small D democratic. Right. And, so, uh, and so I agree with you. And I think that baseball is much more naturally appealing game uh, to at least Americans, uh, but certainly to Japanese than football is. 
And, um, but I also think that soccer is going to take over. Right. <laughs> but I think that football, and baseball football? has to, and you said the pace of play. Baseball yeah. has a, is facing a major crisis. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a manufactured. I think that's a manufactured thing. It's not. I, I'll tell you this, Larry. It's not. I don't care what they do to the game. I don't care if they make the game forty-five minutes long. They're not going to get casual fans to dedicate 162 games a year. I want 162 games. I want 400 games. I don't want them to cut that at I all. Know. I'm not the person. I know. I'm not the person that they're trying to uh, appeal to. But if they're trying to appeal to a casual fan, I don't care if they make it two hours even. Let's say that's what they're trying to go for, which is an impossibility, anyways. But let's say they it's try to make impossible. like soccer. Let's just say. Let's just say that even if they do, let's say if they do a two hours even. It doesn't matter because a random July game, a, four, a Wednesday afternoon July game at th- 1 o'clock p.m., you're not going to get people. But the point to- of baseball is that it's not, it's like f- a great novel and there's a cumulative effect. And so there's a great right. argument that right. there's a great argument that the one game playoff between the Yankees and Red Sox in 1978 was the greatest game ever played because of everything that happened before it. And, and I so agree with you. But moment. to get what so I'm saying, is, you're oh. not right. But but you're repelling the casual fan. My mom is here. She's a diehard, crazy baseball fan. She could not stay up to watch the end of the Cubs Indians World Series. That's another thing. Was, the playoff games are six kids? hours long. That's, that's, really? You went you went to sleep? No, because they are too long. <laughs> Uh, I, I, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be so crazy about baseball anymore. Mo, what, what happened? Because Breaking it's news. too long, too slow, too slow. You watch basketball, mm-hmm. and it's really fast. You watch soccer, it's fast too. Baseball is slow. It takes forever. Please you, leave this apartment. <laughs> <laughs> you watch, and look at the stats for the time of game in the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah, two hours. There's later. no reason yeah. a game should. It's not. The Godfather is three Kyle hours. Hendricks, Kyle Hendricks can throw a game that ends in oh, less Mark than two Burley hours. Can do, no, yeah. no, Clayton I mean, Kershaw can do it. There are guys. Was, how long was The Godfather? Three hours? Yeah. Sure. Right? Yeah. Okay. But I'm not saying movies that, can't go three hours for wow. people just be right, like, but, I'm, this but I'm just saying, gonna be over. but unless you make fundamental changes to the game, fundamental no, change, to the, incorrect. Oh, okay. Uh, the mound educate visit, me. The mound visit. The okay. Visit. Stepping out to me to stepping out yeah. of the box. And this is, and this is, is all like, things that will save, and this is all like things that will save a minute or two here and there. And I agree that we do need to do some things to make sure that we don't have the old, you know, no more Garcia Parra. I'm going to redo my, my batting gloves 450 times in between every single pitch. Yes, I agree. Some of those things need to be taken care of, but the doing this, uh, the four fingers, the intentional walk is ludicrous. Well, that's, that saves nothing. This is what, this is what I'm trying, these are the type of conversations they're having, pitch clocks. There's already a pitch clock that's supposed to be in place, just enforce that rule. You don't need a giant countdown number behind the home plate that's got, you know, a shot clock like the right. NBA. Right. So this, when I'm talking about pace of play, I'm talking about those types of ideas. It's commercial breaks. Don't have a two minute commercial break. I agree. For the postseason, by the way, I couldn't agree with you more that the postseason, it's obnoxious, A, that they're four or five hours long and B that they start at eight, nine o'clock at night. It's the postseason. You should be able to have games that start earlier in in, regular season. It's ridiculous. And so college football games and just like with the, with the hall of fame stuff, there are some ways that we can find common ground here, but I do at the, I, I really don't feel that, uh, making, like I said, I don't care if it's a half an hour long in modern society, asking casual fans to commit themselves to 162 of something over the course of six, seven months. And it, the, one of the reasons why football works so much is because for the most part, their games are all on one day. So we can all come together on one day. Yeah, but we that's can signed, all, by the way, also. I, and those I, people I, are I'm, complaining about the length of those games I'm, also. I'm, I'm aware of that as well. It's just, it's, first of all, I don't think baseball is dying. Everyone keeps saying baseball is dying. I don't with think the young, that- With the young, 
it's undeniable. It's, I mean, it's, it's I mean, I, I, I travel the country every single year and yeah, but the MLB has the data. I mean, this, it's undeniable that the youngest uh, Americans are like just, it is off. definitely becoming an older sport. I'm, I'm oftentimes one of the younger people in many of the rooms and there are ways around that to fix that. I just, I, I feel like this idea that just shortening the games is going to solve that problem. It's not, that's, I, I think there's a lot more to do with them. That's not, they just, need, they need to make superstars. They need, all right, fair enough. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, you know, since 1976, I'm obsessed with baseball. I couldn't get enough. Like it's, it's, it just wears me out now. It's a killer. I can't do it. It's ridiculous. The mound visits are, there should be, I mean, he, Rob Manford wasn't draconian enough. There should be no mound visits. That's why they have signals. There's no reason to ever visit the mound. They don't even have to visit the mound to change the pitcher. Can't they just text? Also, <laughs> <laughs> also reviewing the plays. Oh replays. my god! Yeah, the the instant replay has gotten a little bit too long. I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, I, I, and, and how often they change pitchers and how long that takes? That too. Oh, it's. What can we do? The action is great. There's too much. What can we do about? Somebody has to solve it. Well, create a commission. <laughs> I'm too busy. I can't right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap up soon here. So let's let's try to. Let's Sorry try to, for getting so dark. No, no I try to go ahead. If I may, are you still an Orioles fan? Mo? No, I'm not an Orioles. I would be lying if I said I, I were an Orioles fan, and I don't think I would have been a Nationals fan even if I were still living there. Uh, but no, at this point, I, uh, I I'm a fan of there. Of uh, my brother and my mother's fandom, and I'll 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 go where they Yankees. lead. Yankees. Well, this year we're Yankees fans. This uh, year, when you okay. say this year, what do you? Well, why? I mean, we're just tilting. Like we're always uh, we always root for Brian Cashman. We always root uh, for Brian sure. Cashman. This year I'm going with the Yankees. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. I think they'll win. So okay. for personal allegiances, for personal reasons, we root for Brian. <laughs> for our personal reasons, we root for Brian Cashman, and George sure. Rose. And it's exciting what they're doing. They they have so many great, young, exciting players. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I'm sad that they've – I'm a Cubs fan, so they, they. I was happy for Starlin Castro that he yeah. got the chance to play for a good winning team, you know, <laughs> at, at the same time. Because he was with the Cubs for so long when right. they weren't winning, right. and he was such a good player. Right. And then he was traded at the time when the right. Cubs started winning, but I was happy that he went to – but now he's at the Marlins. <laughs> they'll, they'll flip him. Yeah, and the Cubs uh, will be great this year. Yeah, I th thank you. I the Cubs so are great this year. This yeah, is yeah exactly. Yeah, this isn't going to be coming out for a little bit, so we don't want to timestamp this. But uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I think that that the Yankees, the everyone is. Uh, I just had a conversation last night with a friend of mine who's an Oriole, who actually is a hardcore Orioles fan, and he screamed at me for forty five minutes. He apologized for being sleep deprived because he just had a baby, but. Uh, he screamed at me for 45 minutes about how it's not fair that the Yankees keep buying people and the Yankees are always in the playoffs every year because blah, blah. I was like, brother, that's, that narrative hasn't really been around for the last couple of years. And he's like, well, they, they bought Giancarlo Stanton. I was like, they didn't buy Stanton. Yeah, if, yeah. if Jeter's given folks away, if he's given MVPs away, I'm not going to get mad at him. No, for that's a losing him. argument. Peter Angelos yeah. is a billionaire. And he could, he could, he could, he could have a $500 million payroll. Right. Well, and, and, and just, just regardless, I think the, this, as much as it pains me to say this, uh, the Yankees are currently in this uh, era doing it the way they did it in the late 90s. You know, they are, they're developing young talent. They are- Why that, does it pain you that, to say that? Because, you know, I, I'd like someone else to win. 
I'm just saying. They haven't won in a while. They it's haven't been, won since yeah, but we must yeah. they, We must not ha- have all the teams who have had a long drought suddenly win because they know it really ruins it. Like, I mean, the, the Indians know, can't. We need the to Indians hold off for cannot. They must. They, they have to just. I want them to get close, but they can, the Indians cannot. We still have the Mariners. We still have the Rangers. We still Mariners, have. I'm the, sorry. With all due respect to Seattle, it doesn't have the same magic. Like, the, it, it's Rust Belt towns. It's like the Midwest. It's towns like those that. The Pirates. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you want you want the, cle- the I want the Indians to do really well, but they cannot win. This has so if to the continue. Indians and Pirates meet in the World Series, it, it just has to end in a tie, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which is possible in yeah. Japan. It just yeah. does not work for Pacific wow. Northwest. <laughs> do you, do, can we touch on the Indians thing for a minute, for a second too? The the fact that Wahoo is going away—that's that's, that's my favorite movement. thing in the frame. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm very happy that the we, Chief Wahoo is gone. Is there still any movement to change the name? Is that is that possible? Uh, just change the name of the team yeah. from the Indians. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, I like the spiders. Yeah, that the would Cleveland be cool. Spiders. That would be cool. I think that the, you know, there's so many, <laughs> I could go another rant. The, 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 the logo on the mascot, I mean, is, yeah. is preposterous, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. it's like the, it's also like when you put the frog in water and you gradually turn up the heat and it yeah. boils, you don't notice it. So I grew up, I was a Redskins fan, never thought about it, yeah. right? But then when you think about it, you realize, like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And I don't care what the, the data shows on the polling of Native Americans. Like, since when? Yeah, that doesn't matter. I mean, it's objective. It like, really is it, it's either okay or it's not okay well, I'll just speak to for my... mock and make a caricature of a group based on their, of an ethnic group based on their physical attributes. I mean, it's like- Well, more importantly than that, just going back to the name, and I will just speak as, as look, I'm born and raised in Michigan. The only thing that makes me Indian is my skin color, but- my skin yeah, color. They didn't mean South Asians. But that's but this is what I'm trying to right. explain to you. Okay. When I'm growing up in the Midwest, uh, very young, you get a lot of so what kind of Indian are you, dot or feather? Which is that's a nice thing to ask, you know, a Horrible. first grader. Yeah. But then I sw- you I got a lot of oh you must be an Indians fan when I was a kid. Like I had very very sweet yet maybe ignorant people assuming that I was an Indians fan for Boy. some weird reason. Well, it's like Columbus thought he'd reached India. It wasn't <laughs> India. I know. I, that, that's the whole thing of that. that no, 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 it's, you know, it's so, so, but like, I, so, but I understand. So, so there is, so I never thought about that. There is, that's been a, a, a huge part of my identity. Um, actually, my identity issues as a kid has been this idea of Native Americans versus Indians. And my first, I mean, my absolute first memory as a human being is of my sister, my older sister coming home from school crying. I was in kindergarten. She was in first grade. And me asking my family what, you know, my sister's crying. What happened? And them saying, oh, well, the kids in her class surrounded her doing the, oh, Indian Jeez, war chant type of thing. Yes. And that's kind of one of the my earliest memories of, oh, wow, like we are substantially different than everybody else in my class. You know, like I grew up in a very white suburb. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just this whole debate has been a huge part of my life, my 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 entire life. Like it's really affected me. And so seeing the Chief Wahoo stuff always just on a – divorcing myself from my own experience, just, yeah, as a thinking human person, I was like, this is – cartoonishly evil that you're doing this and I don't care about tradition. I don't care about the movie major league, get it out of the ballpark. I mean, if you go to a uh, uh, progressive field, not progressive field, uh, now, uh, I just went last summer and they've got the old mascot of the yellow faced Indian. Like it's even 
more ridiculous than the current she fly. Yeah, yeah. And they're selling bobbleheads of it everywhere. I, I took a picture of myself holding it. Like, how, how is this 2000 insert year here that we are still doing this? So yeah, the fact that Wahoo's gone, I'm, I don't care if this gets me hate tweets. Once again, that's fine, but I'm, it, it makes me happy. And, and I would love if the Indians could change their name to the Just anything. I don't care. Just, there's no such thing as just an Indian. as long as it's not corporate. <laughs> yeah. like, like, right, like, like, it's enough with the ballparks. Yes, with the you know the bank one and all guaranteed the rate, the guaranteed rate stadium <laughs> well, in Chicago yeah. now. What's that? The, the you know the White Sox are now playing in guaranteed guaranteed rate field, and yeah. their logo. Their logo is a <laughs> giant. It just roll off I know, the tongue. But I mean, it's a giant it. red I mean, arrow Wrigley pointing field. down. Yeah. Wrigley Field. But yeah, but that's the family. That's like Ford know, Field, but they, but Wrigley Field. But it was also marketing for the sure the gun. And let me just say one thing that. The Cubs are the only team in Major League Baseball whose attendance record has not historically correlated with their win-loss record. Yeah. It's correlated more with the price of beer. Because I did a story on C for CBS Sunday Morning when George Will wrote a book on the 100th birthday of Wrigley. And that was one of my favorite factoids is that it had always been marketed. The son of the original Wrigley who hated baseball and, and hated the burden of, of, of running Wrigley, right? He... He um, uh, he he shrewdly marketed it as more of a place for families to come and as a, a place of recreation. Yeah. And so, and so it never for him, PK Philip, whichever I can't remember one was it wasn't about it wasn't about the team, which was smart because when it had a bad team for so long, yeah. they had a it, the bottom didn't fall out yeah. on attendance yeah. because that's not how Wrigley had been marketed. Right, and the day games and the Ivy right. and the lovable losers. The first time, the first ladies' the night or something where they had women come, they, they marketed it. Back so, then, you know, like yeah. back in the early, like long ago, you mean? Long ago. Yeah. Wrigley was the first to do that, to okay. run a, a promotion having women yeah. come. Yeah, So to turn it into a family event. Yeah. Well, as much as, as, as I honestly got to feel like we all could sit here and just scream at each other about baseball for hours, I've got one last question for all three of you. This is the kind of the question that we always end with. Uh, we're going to to pivot here from one of the very intense conversations we've been having, which has been awesome. But what is your uh, absolute favorite baseball memory? The, the memory that says, this is the reason why I'm a baseball fan. It doesn't have to be a big, you know, game or a big championship, but just this moment in your brain that says, this is the reason why I love this game. This is the reason why I am a fan, why I continue to be a fan. And, you know, why do I love baseball? You know, it's a great, such a great question. I never thought about this. And the, the thought that came, there are two thoughts that come to mind. The second one just popped in, but the very first one is odd. It's leaving Memorial Stadium. And one of the games that I went to, it was probably the four of us. I'm not sure that, that our older brother came, but it was the Larry, my parents and I, um, and walking in to the parking lot, and it was kind of a rough area of town, but something about the energy of a night game and and just, I can still sort of smell it and feel it and on a summer night and getting into the car to go home. I know that sounds weird, like oh. leaving a game, but it's very like, it's, a, it's, it's sort of, um, it, there was something just kind of, the combination of family, but also kind of excitement. And also we had to go to a different city from Bethesda up to Baltimore because D DC didn't have a team. And then I think the second one cut to 40 years later is just our mother's kind of joy that 
uh, at watching games and what it's sort of, you know, I think brought you has, is kind of, is very powerful. So what's yours, Mom? What's yours? Into the microphone. Lawrence playing the game. Hmm. When he started in third grade, it made me a fan forever. That's beautiful. Yes. I love it. What position do you... What? what position did I play? Uh, he was uh, uh, different different positions, but I mean, to to me, they didn't mean which position, mm. but that he was playing the game. Yeah. He's playing baseball. Doesn't matter. Yeah. He's playing baseball. That's the yeah. position he played. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, and for and for me, um, for sure, it was. Uh, the shared activity with my parents. So my playing catch with my dad, going to my first game with my mom and dad. Uh, and then they came to, you know, they went to all of my, of Mo's performances uh, for theater and music. And, and then they came to all of my games in every sport. And uh, I was best at baseball. I wasn't a great baseball player, but I was okay. And, and so they were always there. And then I wanted to play, you know, professionally and obviously wasn't good, close to good enough to even play in college. And then I wrote about baseball. And so I burned out on it. I quit the newspaper job and then I did the five years in Japan and I kind of burned out on it. And my mom got me back into it. Yeah. Cause I, I, when I moved back from Japan, I lived with my mom for a while in Bethesda. Uh, and I wasn't interested. And she's like, what, what is going on? Why aren't you watching the games? Have you lost your interest? Remember? <laughs> and so we were watching the Nationals and Orioles all the time. Yeah. And now we're all here living in New York together. We're all excited about it. And we will definitely be going to a lot of games this year. Oh, that's So it's kind of a um, snowball effect, right? Like we're all sort of uh, pulling each other into it and then um, pulling each other back into it yeah. when any of us lapses or drifts. Well, am I going to say, I mean, this is our first uh, family episode yeah. of, of the podcast. And, it, and yeah. it's been, it's, I kind of want to do more of these now because it's really, it's really cool to see the three of you just, uh, you can really feel the baseball love and passion from this family. And you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's all we care about is, is it doesn't matter what you believe in at the end of the day, we all love the game. Well, remember yeah. that Sports Illustrated cover with Cal Ripken Sr., Cal Ripken Jr. and Billy Ripken? Yeah. I, I would say that, you know, Teeny Rocca, Mo Rocca, and Larry Rocco trumps yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. You guys are going to have trouble topping this. <laughs> <laughs> Call well, that's been thrown. And after you sign off, please, it's just an announcement. Please stick around. I'll be pouring a bottle of Eddie Murray 504 Cabernet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there anything that you guys would like to plug at all? I mean, like I said, this is not, we don't know when it's going to come out. So you know, I just want to, I would like to rant for another two hours. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have you on uh, again. I was supposed to be light and cheery and tell more funny stories. <laughs> no, Can we that's do all that right. Next year I'm going to be. Here's the thing. Well, uh, uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, or or what's the way? Not that sure. I'm. A, I think it's at Larry Rock. I I'm, I don't really tweet very much. So please I'm, send your hate tweets about the Hall of Fame and about. I got killed. I got killed. All to him. In the last year that I voted, yeah. I got I did some interviews on radio and stuff, uh -huh. and I was just getting killed. And, yeah. he, and he tweeted out. Like, hey, uh, if you're going to be, for all those people who are ripping my brother for his Hall of Fame vote, show some respect and do it at his Twitter handle. And he gave up my Twitter <laughs> handle. I got bombarded. Some guy called me. I was working at our high school alma mater as development director. And some guy called me at my high school to, to yell at me. You know? So well, I mean, like I said, no one, no one can ever accuse you of not caring. That's, that's kind of the, the thing. that, And at the end of the day, that's all. It's one of the only things that I can't be accused of. <laughs> right. Good. Good. So, Tini, thank you. This has been oh. an absolute pleasure. 
I kind of want to go to a baseball game with you this summer, and I'm putting that out on the air right now. So hopefully we can, I can have you commit to coming to a baseball game with me this Thank summer. Thank you for me too. And oh, another thing I forgot: my grandson, mm-hmm. he's uh, he lives in Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he speaks English and Italian. But he became a fan too because of me. Yeah, yeah. I love you. And they don't, during the summer. They don't play baseball in in Rome, but uh, when he's now they will to visit, uh, we started watching the games together, and now we talk about baseball when we talk about. Absolutely, love. I feel like you're going to be responsible for the Italian revolution of baseball. This this your grandson is going to go and become a superstar, and we will have you to thank for that. The so. Rome Rockas. The yes. Rome Rockas. And they're the Rome Rocas. Yeah, yeah, right, Roca. And you're at Mo Rocca, right? That's right. Yeah, you are. At Albino Kid. I am at Rounding Third MJ and at uh, Clubhouse Pod for the podcast. Thank you all so incredibly much. This has been so much fun. We've gone so much longer than we anticipated. Mr. Rap, thank you for thank joining you. me. Thank you, Mr. Chain. As always. Thank you, Miss People Rocca. <laughs> what this is going to happen? That is an existential we're, question. We're going to release this into the world, and all of our lovely fans and all of your son's lovely wow. fans will listen to this. Let me know and when. I will. Yeah, we, we will. It'll it'll be. Uh, a, I don't want to timestamp this episode, but it'll it'll be. In a, you know, I'll, I'll let you know when. I when just love that question. So, what is going to happen with all of this? <laughs> it's it's ex- existential. It was kind of a mystery to me. We did kind of ambush you. You did just kind of walk into. We want to ask you a few questions about baseball. Don't be shy. Just speak (laughs) up. (laughs) Well, it's okay. Are you? I mean, was this? I mean, did you have a good time? I did. I did. Yes. All right. The only thing I didn't talk was about Jeter. Uh, If you'd like to say something about Jeter. Jeter. Uh oh. He's messing up. Uh oh. Team. Oh, oh no. <laughs> he's he's in Miami. With the in Miami, yeah. I have a feeling she's not happy with his management of the Marlins. All right. That's <laughs> it's okay. She shares my opinion that Derek Jeter is an arrogant diva. Once again, at Larry. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Derek Jeter's tweet, a diva is, is a quote from at Larry, not from Mo, not from Anthony, not from Manish, not from Tina. All right. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next time here in the clubhouse. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at AlbinoKid. I am at RoundingThirdMJ. To contact the show directly, we are at ClubhousePod on Twitter and ClubhousePodcast at gmail.com. We truly do love hearing all of your awesome baseball stories, so please keep those coming. And as always, please rate and review us in iTunes. The Clubhouse Podcast is expertly produced by Zach McNeese. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week. <laughs>